0: Welcome to Where in the Folk. Today I'm Cecil Fletcher, as always. And we got <laughs> Mr. Henry Tully with us up there in northern Kentucky where the High and Mighty live. And we got Jeremy Riss with us. Uh he is with alien scientists. Uh Jeremy, where in the folk are you at? I'm in Rhode Island right now. Nice. Um, Jeremy, if people's not familiar with your content, can you give them a little insight and let them know where they can find everything?
1: Yeah, I have a website called alienscientist.com. I have a lot of stuff on there. I also have a lot of videos on YouTube, a lot of stuff to sift through. There's a lot of five-hour-long streams and stuff, and, and, uh, but, you know, there's bits and pieces of good information in there, and a lot of the stuff, I, I, re- I re- tend to repeat the good stuff, you know, often, so you missed it on one of them, you'll be able to find it on on another. I also post a lot of stuff on Twitter and I try to repost a lot of the good, better content so that, you know, it it doesn't get lost in the feeds and and stuff. But uh, yeah, Alien Underbar Scientist on Twitter. And then we also have a website called altpropulsion.com, which is just focused on the, you know, propulsion research and, you know, like anti-gravity stuff and some of the propulsion research that that's gone on out there, and that we we engage in with our group and and the various labs that uh, we are connected with.
2: Well, you're super well versed in uh, in a lot of most everything alien. How did you get started in all of it?
1: I mean, I wouldn't say I'm super well versed and. and and all of it, but I mean, I've been doing it for since 2008 is kind of when I created my YouTube channel. I was getting into it before then, probably like 2007, 2006, with uh, a book called "Behold a Pale Horse" by William Cooper that kind of got me into a lot of different conspiracy research and sent me down a bunch of different rabbit holes. Some of which, you know, I like no, I don't agree with a lot of that book, but there are some things in that book that I did research further. And I said, wow, you know, this is, he he did have some really interesting insights into a lot of the stuff, but the UFO topic is just like, it's number one, as far as, you know, complexity and also popularity. It's, it seems like the one that, you know, you get the most you make the most friends talking about it because it doesn't offend anyone. It doesn't, you know, piss anybody off too, too bad. It's just this, it's just this big question of, are we alone in the universe? And, you know, um, what are these things that we've been seeing flying around out there? And, you know, I I try to take the skeptical side and I've tried, I've actually like identified a lot of cases or attempted to, you know, come up with reasonable explanations or identifications for a lot of, you know, the more popular cases. We've been doing a big investigation into Roswell, and I'm going to be dropping some bombshells on that tomorrow on um, our APEC conference stream. We have this APEC conference, you know, every other Saturday. We've been having it. We, we, might, we might take a little break if, for a little bit, but uh, it's the Alternative Propulsion Engineering Conference, and we just get a bunch of scientists and engineers together, and we talk about different concepts and ideas for, you know, anti-gravity or warp drive or, you know, ways to to break physics (laughs) at the fundamental level. Um, And we have a bunch of different scientists that are working on various schemes for doing just that, and we kind of cross-analyze them, and we invite, you know, people from the skeptical. It's an open invitation, so anyone can join. So, you know, if if there's people out there that are skeptics or physicists that want to engage and... you know, they're welcome to come and present their work, or you know, ask questions and and uh, confront the work of others that are, you know being put forward and ideas that are you know being bounced around. But um, yeah, so we get we got that going on, and then but that's like my that's what I call like the the way of you know cutting through this whole field of ufology because we kind of come up with a three step process for like you know figuring all this out. First is the database, you know, first is we need all the information. You know, they have, we have we have this, it, you know, network of people that mine all this information and then we accumulate all that most, you know, the most relevant data and the most actionable intelligence in, in a database. And we started this, you know, collection process and this database accumulation process. And uh, we have, you know, between... Between our, you know, the people I am in my immediate network with Michael Schrat, who's got literally he, he has every he has every UFO library copied and backed up in his own library. He has a backup of of all the different UFO libraries. So he's got all the Gray Barker archive. He's got MUFON, all MUFON's files. He's got all the U.S. Air Force Project Blue Book files. He's got all he's got you know everything that goes back to you know documentation from the government. He's got copies of it. And he's got FOIA, like you know, copies of all this FOIA stuff. So he's got the like one of the largest um, hard copy databases that are that um, exist anywhere out there in the public domain. That and you know he he he's done been a one man creation collection of all that kind of stuff. And um, then we have a, a project that we're going to be setting up with him, kind of like the uh, project the Alexandria project, you know, because it's like Michael. What if one of your warehouses full of documents burns down? You know, like (laughs) (laughs) we need like, you know, like we need like a project to like, you know, digitize and and make this and then make this all available to people like so that they can search this. And, and, you know, you have this massive library, but, you know, no one's no one, no one but you is allowed in your warehouse because you can't trust anyone. But, like, if we get, like, a team together of people we can trust to go through and digitize all this stuff and make it available in an online archive, we could literally, you know, we could build, like, the, the most, um, you know, up-to-date, massive, you know, online archive of UFO history anywhere in existence. And, um, I don't know, that's kind of a project that I've envisioned and had in mind for, you know, the future. But it's it's quite an undertaking when he has sure. he has warehouses full of documents. It's it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, I don't, I don't know. We'd have to have, you'd have to have a, a, a way to automate the process, you know, ver- when
0: it comes to, when it comes to storing all that digitally, after you're done, aren't, wouldn't, wouldn't you be afraid that they'd wipe it? Like, yeah.
1: Wait, right, And then what's to the say they can't have. like, you know, do bleach bit to, you know, where they go in and then just bleach all the, you know, the, the relevant documents and filter out the stuff, you know, afterwards. But you know cuz they know what they're looking for so if they go through the archive and corrupt it or delete the files somehow you know i don't know i just you have to worry about that but we we we've got a good team going with trustworthy people and we don't let anybody in that's you know not we don't like fully like clear beforehand and stuff to the to the real the, you know to our pro most prized stuff but we put a lot of the the collections out there for you know the public um or whoever, not the, not necessarily the public, but people who are te- of technical background and have you know need and need and reason to know. So it's it's kind of like um, you know this is declassified stuff. It's but it's it's still I we we want people that are respond you know you know we want to know who the, who's getting the information too. I guess I don't know. I just want. I'd like to set it up so that it's it's public though, you know, so that you know like that everyone has access to it across the world. And but it's I don't know, it's a it's a project in and of itself, and there's a lot of quirks to it because then you have all the labor that goes into it. Do you charge for it? You know, like do you make it like a a donate thing like Wikipedia? You know, and, and rely on donations. Or how how do you fund you know something like that? You could you just get a bunch of volunteers and then how do you know the volunteers that you're you're hiring are aren't you know government agents because they're not getting paid? So you know to do the work you know there's it's you have to find people with the right motivations and making sure that, yeah, it's it's a difficult thing to do. But um, yeah. the, the database is like the number one project, right, is just getting the data, accumulating the data, and then putting it out, getting it all in one spot so that people can have the library. And then the second part is, is the intelligence, you know, analysis, filtering and sifting, you know, to basically mine that data to, for all the nuggets and then put together reports and intelligence summaries based on, you know, oh, well, this is something we need to look into more. Or, or you know, we, as we're finding more information, you know, like, for example, the Belgian wave of, of triangle UFOs that were cited, in, you know, the, in the Belgian yep. wave in the 80s, tracing it back to uh, stealth blimp technology and, and, and triangular-shaped blimp uh, you know, stealth blimps and stuff that were being developed around the same time by the Arion Corporation and others and trying to, you know, make possible links between, you know, those those things and and those stories, you know seeing as we've been digging for that damn TR-3B flying triangle for <laughs> 17 years now and I haven't found it yet and I swear, when the Air Force rolls that thing out, I better be getting a ride on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know.
0: I just realized while Reed's not on here tonight too. Um, I I'm under the strict suspicion that our other co host, Reed, is a CIA agent. And I think he's trying to distance himself. <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't I I don't think he is. He's I just a
2: he, he's a hillbilly with a farm, Cecil.
0: <laughs> he's college educated. He's been to Washington, D.C. twice, I know of. Mm. And he goes to Huntsville, Alabama all the time. Mm. Mm.
1: (laughs) Hey, there's only two kinds of people that go to Huntsville, Alabama all the time. Rocket scientists and uh, spooks.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think that would be super hard. I mean, like, that's a huge undertaking just because of how much suppression is already going on today. You know, on the on the internet as it stands, it's
1: they can't. That's what they have to do with the, with people that have information. They have to suppress it, and they have to try to like. That's what I see is going on in in the mainstream is them taking control of the information and, and putting a different narrative out there for the public to follow that that's more friendly to whatever their agenda is. So that's why I see is going on with people like Tom DeLong, who I believe was used. You know, he basically had sent in those Podesta emails asking to be used by Podesta. You know, so it, it's obviously they picked him right up and, and um, you know, teamed him up with a bunch of Pentagon insiders and did that whole um, thing, which, of course, you know, it, it broke apart. and Now it's taken on a life of its own. And... Um, with everything that's going on. I feel like the stuff that's being put out in the mainstream is this and things that are left out of the conversation on, you know, and I, and I know that's being done on purpose. And, um, you know, the insistence that it's aliens, that, that it's you, it, we need to, you know, be getting more funding to fight this, this invisible threat. Um, I think that's, uh, it's it's not looking at the history of these, you know, UFOs historically have been used by the CIA as a cover for, you know, their other black projects. So the CIA was doing a lot of, you know, other programs, you know, research, the, the U-2 spy plane, the, you know, SR-71 spy plane, the, you know, the, uh, Operations Skyhook, you know, like different uh, Sky Vault. There's all kinds of, you know, stuff. You know, Operation pa- um, Rainbow, right? And then Operation Paperclip. You mentioned Huntsville, Alabama, where they brought all the Nazi scientists, you know, after World War II, right, into Huntsville, Alabama, and had yeah. them run our secret space program what would become the what would become NASA, NACA, and the early, you know, space program and man and manned uh, flight programs. Based in, and they used a lot of the Nazi research that was done on concentration camp prisoners on high altitude, you know, experiments on on humans that were done in in Dachau and uh, other places. Um, they used that intelligence to develop a lot of the uh, early spacesuits and and um, and also the techniques for halo jumps, you know, deceleration testing, you know, acceleration, seeing how much you know. You, you figured out that you know nine or ten Gs and knock usually knocks someone out. So we have to like you know slow down the get the acceleration down to um, you know right around eight Gs is about what, all we can handle before we start you know having serious problems. So and that went into the development of the parachute technologies for those you know high altitude low opening halo jumps. If you know know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so like stuff like that was developed, and, you know, all all by those scientists during that time. Um, so a lot of interesting history I've, I've been researching and going into, but you find out that you know these Nazi scientists were working on saucer-shaped craft and flying wing craft, and including. Um, this Horton brothers parabola craft. It was called the Horton parabola, which looks very similar to the Roswell descriptions of the Roswell craft. Um, not saying that, I necessarily, you know, fully believe that, but it's one of the things I found. Where I'm like, holy crap! Like, you know, that's what Kenneth Arnold saw. Like his his description of this craft. It looks just like these this Horton parabola.
2: So, are but, you in the, the the thought process that? That a lot of these craft or all of them are are manned by. Well,
1: this is what I try to say is is, is, is I try to like bridge this gap because the scientific community is looking at all this UFO stuff like it's hoo ha, it's woo, it's it's complete nonsense and this I this whole branding of it with the as the phenomena. So now they they took UFO away and they now they're calling it a, a phenomena. Yep. And it's it's now they're mixing it with this skinwalker ranch stuff really hard you know like uh, there's like this crossover that's being done where now it's all you know ghosts and and specters and portals and 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 all this other stuff is being you know m- kind of mixed all jumbled together you know all the paranormal stuff like is now being all wrapped up in one big package it's all now being called the f- the phenomena and um, it's being repackaged as such, and then you know, and being sold as as that to people. And then like I'm getting told like, oh, well, how do you scientifically measure something that you know changes to, when you bring sensors around? You know, like it, it only shows up to to kind of mess with you. It's like, and then it disappears when you when you actually bring equipment around. Right? And right, and and one of the tricks to to that is is um. Well, if you could, you can could easily figure out if this thing's, you know, whether it's a human intelligence that's fucking with you, or whether it's alien intelligence that's that's doing it, and and, and w- what their capabilities are, and the best way to do that would be to not, you know, like to really sneak to sneak it, you know, like you'd have to get another crew out there that you didn't tell anyone about that sets up with their sensors to see if, you know, that people are broadcasting signals or, you know, doing holograms or, you know. I mentioned a bunch of different technologies. They have this HoloVec technology. They can take three projectors and they shine them from the three different angles, and they can they can make a projection. That's how they made the Tupac image on the. Um, remember when Tupac sang? They made the 3D hologram of him singing on the stage. They yeah. did it with three three projectors on a cloud of smoke. You know. And um, they can do this apparently, and and get like pretty pretty good uh, holographics imaging, you know, if you get if if you can do it right, and uh, that combined with some of this other stuff like mic, I was talking about microwave auditory effect. They've massed, they've kind of taken, they discovered this clicking noise, you know, at certain frequencies when you put your head, they put their head in front of this thing, it would create this clicking noise in the ear, and they sort of, you know. They weaponized, of course, and mastered that technique through, you know, MK Ultra Project '68 and that whole Psychionic Warfare Center that was uh, set up at Camp Hero on the end of Montauk Island that Stranger Things was based on. Yeah, um, that whole facility was set up there to kind of like weaponize and 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 develop. You know, the frequency technologies for, for non-ionizing radiation that could have, you know, and, and the health effects on, on biological systems in the human body. And I think that that's where a lot of the, you know, knowledge, that, like that Cuban embassy, that Havana fever thing that was going down with, with the, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. the attack that was done. I think a lot of that, you know, stuff was developed and tested out there. Um, including you know ways to put voices in people's heads you know so they get the That's, click down they get yeah. those clicks and if you time the, enough of the clicks and the frequency and the pitch of the clicks you can you can make a, you can send out a signal uh, as a series a sequence of uh, of these clicks at a really high burst speed and you, it can make and, and sound like a robotic voice you can actually make you know vocal um, patterns and vocals you know vocal uh, the voice phonetics. Of God yeah the voice of god literally beaming yeah. beaming voices in people's head and so they were talking there was you know a guarantee of this psychological warfare research that was you know keep this a secret you know cuz what if we're attacking the Taliban army and we can you know shoot allah up in the sky and, and and tell them you know that you know like this is the holy quran they must drop to their drop their weapons and drop to their knees you know right now and that's when we launch the attack <laughs> They're, you know <laughs> I don't know. like there's lots of ways that you could potentially, you know, utilize this technology for, you know, warfare advantages. Uh, you know, if you can, it was basically, you know, and there's basically a lot of talk about, you know, fake alien invasion or a faked, uh, you know, coming of Christ or, or or a lot of these scenarios too. You know, yeah. like there's there's talk about that even we even today.
2: We talk about that a it, lot, like the uh, Project the the planned invasion just because like they're starting to to really massage and kind of socialize a lot of this in the media like oh hey you know just nonchalantly you know ufo's are real like you know it went from like sort of a hush hush topic to all of a sudden it's blowing up on every station and you know it's that's posturing
1: yeah, it's interesting. Like, but the, 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 it seems like it's the approach that's being shown. It's still like not. It's not resonating and getting through to the to the scientific and skeptical communities, though. You know, you see these guys that are still. You know, of course, you know we all know Mick West. He's the more famous one, but uh, he gets a lot of flack for it. But th- there's a lot of you know scientists in the community that just. I mean, silence, I think, is the, is the loudest, rea- more, is a louder reaction uh, than, you know, Mick West's um, rebuttals and, and debunkings. So that's like, I can name the amount of scientists that have come out in favor of, you know, um, thinking about UFOs and, uh, and name them on one hand. I did it in my stream last night. I said, Avi Loeb is, is, is one of the good guys. Then there's the, um, the head of the MIT incubator labs there who wrote that article that, um, about how, you know, UFO, thinking about UFOs could lead to new physics and, and revolutions in science and stuff, and that how it would be stupid not to, like, consider these things and at least try to, like, you know, stretch our imaginations to think outside the box. Um, so there's there's some, you know, scientists out there that are, uh, are kind of, you know, saying, hey, this might not be, you know, a totally bad thing, but then you got, you know, Neil Tyson who says, you know, like, look, we're not interested in, in all these videos. You know, the Pentagon coming out with more and more, you know, footage and, and videos of things that are just, it could be a plane, it could be Boca, you know, it could be who, any number of things. Uh, um, but is it proof of aliens? He said, you know, so he says, this is ridiculous. Call me when, you know, they, an alien wants to sit down and have dinner or when they land on the White House lawn. And then I'll, <laughs> you know, then I'll pay it, start paying attention. Otherwise, this is, you know. And it is it's a waste of, of their time as you know the scientific community it's this stuff i view all those ufo videos and the stuff that's being put out there as though, oh, this is the best evidence that we're not alone and 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 uh and i just laugh at that stuff because it's 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 again it's it's not evidence of anything and it's not convincing anyone in the scientific or skeptic community as far as i can see um it may, you know, have changed the public attitude and the media mindset, you know, and, and attitude towards this topic. But, you know, then again, the media it, it pretty much, it, it just di- it just does whatever will get, pay the bills at this point, it seems. And, and they've lost pretty much all credibility in the mainstream, which is why, you know, podcasts and independent media like us are blowing up so huge, so fast. Because yeah. people don't want to get there. They want to get their news from, you know, you know sources that are more like them and that they can trust, unless you know corporate, you know, funded and and contrived. You know, so you,
2: you may have seen this video, but uh, I I literally was watching a video earlier today where, the so this station was talking about, you know, fake news and how trustworthy they are, and they were part of like the the overarching. I think it was CBS. Um, th- this person then put twenty other stations on there. Like, so on the same screen, you've got 20 stations, and they say the exact same thing word for word for, like, 30 seconds talking about this information. That's
0: what happens whenever you have, like, five things that run every news, five people that run every news outlet there is.
1: Yeah, it's that the the editorial staff is dictated by CIA. Often it's times that the CIA is providing them with their source material, you know, it comes from Associated Press, which is CIA. And, you know, a lot of that news feed that comes off there is all, you know, CIA-approved talking points. And that's what's given to them is these, talk, is these talking points. And they don't have time to do the real journalism or the research or the stories and stuff. But, you know, this, these news cycles happen so fast. Anyone who's been in media and, and has ever tried to put a video together or, or you know, a, a presentation on a topic knows, like, um, you know— there's a lot of work that goes into this unless you have like a streamlined you know organization like these news outlets do and even then their 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 you know production time is so quick that they don't have time to to really to do the in-depth research and and the reporting really suffers as a result and an example is you could take take any Take any topic that the news has ever covered, and then go find and go find a relevant expert in that field, and, and ask them to watch that news story, and then tell you everything wrong with it, and that will give you an idea of just, you know, what kind of information you you're getting from them in general. Anyways, is it's it's a biased, one-sided viewpoint that's very limited in its scope and and overall coverage of, of a given topic, and it's you and it's often uh, you know to- sold and, and and told solely for a you know specific you know, political or advantageous purpose, you know, like we've seen with this, so much news reporting to, that's just done to make people angry and, 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 and flame things. I don't know. It's just, I, I swear there's so much, there's so much bad news out there. It, it, it's crazy, the world that we live in today, yeah, it, but.
2: <laughs> it's depressing to watch. Like I, it's I had to, I had to like distance myself from even looking at at, like, Twitter news, you know what I mean? Like, even when I'm scrolling or, like, talking to people, I have to be mindful not to look at that stuff.
0: Well, it's insane to me, too, that people think that whenever Project Mockingbird was figured out in the 70s that they just quit doing that whole thing. You know, it's just evolved to where now they use other things to cover stuff up, and like you said, they use it to feel hate and everything like that. And
1: division. They want us fighting each other cuz as long as we're fighting each other and at each other's throats then we won't be going after them and, and teaming up against the real enemy and and uh you know, they're basically how do you how do you take out take it out you, you convince the middle class that the lower class is, you know, the problem and then and then you slowly weed out them and eliminate the middle class until
0: <laughs> I really crazy. don't I feel like there isn't really even a middle class anymore, honestly. Like, the position I'm in, I would have been middle class 20 years ago. But, you know, now I'm really not. I'm like, I uh, totally would be, I guess you would be considered middle class now, right? <laughs> or, well, you yeah, know. It- <laughs> so, I'm blue-collar.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm not white-collar. I'm a blue-collar worker. I, I, I I'm in the trades. You know I work for my, my work for my living so you know eventually you know i I might be you know into that white collar position that's what I'm trying to retire on and and get into radio broadcasting and and, and news and, and all this but it's not an no not an easy easy uh easy road to carve especially with the way that they you know Adpocalypse destroyed everything. I was I was one point in YouTube where I could I could make money, and then they then the algorithm and the adpocalypse just destroyed everything. And, of,
0: and this website you have is absolutely amazing, full of information.
1: I got to do so much more, man. That's not that's not even if if I could spend a year just putting content together on that website, I could I could fill it with. A lifetime worth of stuff. I thought about it, but it's just—it's a lot of work, and um, I won't—I'm not sure if I want to save all the information for documentaries and and, and other stuff because it's just—I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of cool stuff, man. When you start diving down these rabbit holes of these secret projects and all the science and and uh, the technology that they've been they've researched and done—from invisibility cloaking to this these skin coatings that these two-dimensional materials and and uh, these warp drives that can warp the fabric of space-time, allegedly, and create lasers, you know, from...
0: I warped, I warped space-time flight. one time, uh, <laughs> about four hits of acid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everything's <started> going around <laughs> Started melting. <laughs>
1: Um, I'm well, that's what I say. I got in these arguments with these people about the interdimensional beings. They said, "Well, how do you know these aliens don't come from another dimension?" And like, "Well, maybe they're using like hyperdimensional physics to get here through interstellar distances." But like, what is a dimension? And, and what is like, you know, you got to think like, na- what what is nature? And and what is what what are these beings if they if they exist out there anywhere? And uh I, don't know, I have a whole a bunch of older videos on this like about the whole theory about why 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 humans became intelligent right so we came from monkeys and monkeys became monkeys like why evolutionarily you know it has to be something in the hand of you, the natural you, you selection hear, of evolution
2: you wanna hear my theory about that
1: oh the stone ape theory
2: no no so so that's me so monkeys <laughs> eat bananas. And if you ate, I'm wanting to say the number is like 270 bananas a day.
1: I'd have you would, heartburn. Like cra- I eat one banana, I have heartburn. <laughs> uh,
2: apparently, bananas naturally have a radioactive property. And if you were to eat, I think it was like 270 bananas a day for yeah. for so long, you would basically be radioactive. So they think that somehow that manipulated the genome. And like, uh, did, hopper Oh uh, yeah, from you?
1: all the radioactive phosphorus and the bananas we've been eating. You know that, that <laughs> proper type of you know radiation that. It, uh,
2: yeah, I saw uh, I saw an article that was explaining that. and I was just like, oh.
1: nah. It's it's the <laughs> it's the fact that we that we, our ancestors lived in trees and they had to you know basically. The, the whole network of the roads it was roads, but it was passed through the trees, and it was um, they had to remember where the treetops, the, the paths through the treetops. So they developed all these you know intelligence networks in their in their brains to to basically map out the tree networks, and um, that was like the whole theory. That's a whole theory on how, why you know you know monkeys got like. You know, there's an, a natural selection for the smarter monkeys would would be better at navigating their way through the trees, and would be a, a, you know advantageous for their ev- evolution. You know, so that you could the smarter monkeys would live on, and the smarter monkeys would, and, and eventually you'd get smarter and smarter and smarter monkeys, until so you get one that picks up a tool and built you know and, and and starts building a fire and you know figuring out others how to build all kinds of other stuff because they're They've got that much brain power now, so that's kind of like this whole idea is that that we need you need trees and you need primates. So like there's there's this whole theory that um, aliens are going to look like us. They're going to be humanoid. They're going to have you know a head, two arms, two legs. They're not going to be like you know um, squid things like in The Simpsons. You know they're going to be more like they're going to be more like human. You know two eyes. You know very very similar to us because of just nature and i don't know if that's um you know has some, there's a lot of people that describe that a deeper meaning to that but i feel like life has to evolve if it's evolves on it has to evolve on other planets in, in a very similar way that it evolved on earth you know i don't think that you could just spontaneously get a hyper or a super intelligence or a you know an ai you know who you got to have you know humans have to build the first ai or the first super intelligent you know quantum computer we're not going to it's not just going to you know it's just not going to synthesize itself into existence from the, from the vacuum elements and and just regular planetary systems and you know processes it's just not it's so I don't know. There's a whole theory of what you know beans might be like that we we encounter out there, and then there's a whole argument of the hyperdimensional physics. And I'm not, you know, not denying that these things couldn't. You know, people are taking me all out of context, saying I'm like saying that these things couldn't exist and and stuff. And no, I'm not. I don't never say nothing's impossible and stuff. But it's it, we have to focus on the science of like. Well, is there, uh, you know, is there a way to, to do this? And who who's been working on it? Is there any, you know, theories out there of anyone that you know can do anything like this? You know, this there's, there's an approach to take, and it and and um, it's a fine line between that woo and you know cutting edge friend, you know, the fringe of physics. That's going to be the next big breakthrough because yeah. you know, as I've shown in some of my research, it's like cold fusion was this big woo topic and it was considered you know pseudoscience uh, even when i when i was in college i asked my professor about it about cold fusion and he said oh that's pseudoscience and don't get involved in that and like you're going to destroy your career and and there's nothing there's nothing to be had and that it's a bunch of hoo ha but then you look into it and you see all these you know respected scientists that have, you know, said, you know, wait a minute, I've done experiments on this myself and there's definitely, you know, something going on here that we don't fully understand and we're we're ignoring it in the name of, you know, like calling it, you know, pseudoscience and thinking we're so smart. But we're, we've probably, like, thrown away, we, we could have potentially thrown away one of the next big breakthroughs in, in science because, well, you know.
2: I mean, let's be honest, there's probably a good reason for it having that narrative right like there's there's, um, there's a lot of
1: other conspiracies about you know why they have that narrative because it's of course the oil companies and the energy companies and the, the control over energy and you know it's a and war that. so it's a yeah it's definitely there's a war this you know there's been real conspiracies fought around this very thing um, you know a number of them so it's it's not outrageous to entertain conspiracy theories <laughs> So, when there's been when there's been such so many real conspiracies,
0: <laughs> right? It's, so when, so you going back to what you said about uh, the aliens, how they would have evolved on different planets and everything. And they probably look just like us is what you believe, correct?
1: Yeah, I, I made a video on that like early years ago, like talking about that theory about the monkeys and, and um, this whole idea that, you know, aliens would probably look very, very similar to us. And uh, we w- I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, what if, you know, thousands of years in the future, in our future, we are trying to figure out our steps and trying to, you know, we, we're we obviously going to create an animal preserve out of Earth and, le- and and try to eliminate all our presence. I mean, wh- what are we going to do with the Earth? We're probably going to keep this planet as long as we can, but we eventually have to leave and move somewhere else and, and, and go somewhere else because this world is not going to last more than you know, a couple million, maybe a couple hundred million years, you know.
0: Whenever well we they're get. evolving on other planets, do you think that, like, the environment of that planet may lead to different kind of structures, like like different kind of evolutionary features, like...
1: Yeah, dra- yeah, absolutely, because it has to do with the the natural gravity, you know, the mass of the planet, so how much gravity there is on the planet, the rotation speed of the, the planet would also, you know... Um, you know, have a, a factor, and then also the buoyancy of the atmosphere, you know, like is it, because we have two atmospheres, we have the air, and we also have water, it's kind of an an atmosphere, it is an atmosphere in itself, because it's a different density, you know, so we have the ocean, and a whole bunch of different life supposedly evolved in that ocean, and then, you know, ventured out onto land, into the air, but, um you know, there's this different mediums we could, on other planets, they, they, it could evolve inside of, you know, a different, you know, they could have methane and a higher percentage of methane or other gases in their atmosphere that they'd have to deal with. So there's all kinds of, yeah, there's all kinds of, isn't there a whole bunch of series on the Science or Discovery Channel that talks about all these different uh. Alien worlds, I think I've seen uh, some kind of show Alien worlds, they talk about these different things You know, with the different atmospheres And different, you know, creatures that might exist on these other planets
0: That's always kind of confused me Because you know the tall grays or whatever The tall whites, I guess it is Yeah Do you think that they come from a planet that would have less gravity That lets them get taller But when they come here, would they not, like, crumble, basically, you think?
1: It would be too much gravity for them, right? So they'd have to have some you know, kind of suit that would support them. But the, that's the whole idea that the gray, the gray aliens are ancient species that actually live underground or inside the earth
2: yeah,
1: and, and stuff because they came out of that cave down there.
2: You know, Weird. I was watching a video earlier today about um, – I forget who it was that was speaking, but it was about uh, Antarctica. Stuff, man. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there was a guy that was like – this is probably like in the forties or fifties and the the news uh, anchor was asking him, he's like, is there any, any more unexplored land? And he's like, well, you know, beyond Antarctica, there's a landmass the size of the United States that hasn't been explored yet. And I hope to go there someday. And I was just like, Wow! Like I, I can go back. I don't know who it was exactly, but I'll find it and I'll uh, send it to you.
1: Uh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, who knows what he was talking about or, or, or what he what he meant by that? But yeah, I, and uh, I don't know. As far as I was knew that the, you know, Antarctica was the southernmost landmass on the on our planet. So I don't know. That there's another landmass that more south than Antarctica. Well,
2: I guess maybe, it, it, that's maybe when there's a st- hole
1: in the bottom in that it goes inside the earth, right? That's the whole yep, hollow earth theory.
2: Hollow earth, flat
1: earth.
0: It, <laughs> yeah. it goes go on it and just on. just goes on and on. How deep does the rabbit hole go, man? They believe that one of the entrances to flat earth is actually in Kentucky at uh, Mammoth Cave. You mean hollow earth? Hollow yeah, earth, yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant. That was hollow earth. But, Mammoth uh, Cave in Kentucky?
1: Well, I'll have to put that on the list of places to visit, huh?
0: Yeah, Mammoth Cave. It's it's kind of yeah, cool.
2: It's a pretty cool place. There's there's well there's actually now that you say that there's a cave that you're not allowed to go in there.
0: It's, it's because it's the entrance to Hollow Earth, man. <laughs>
1: where all the, it's where all the um our leaders go underground and turn into reptilians. <laughs> the <eat> babies, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, my there's a and there's something cool in uh, where we're from in Clay County, Kentucky that they, um, they're they getting ready to put on the History Channel, they found this thing, and I've seen it before in person. It's a huge round rock, but it's, like, green. Uh, it kind of looks like shit green on the channel, but when you're standing there, it's almost like an emerald, and it's in a creek. But there's a cave that people did not exist that's literally, like, 500 yards away from this thing, and I swear there's people that, uh, that guard it like, arm guards at it. And I'd love to go in there and see what that is. That's probably another entrance or something. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, be careful, man.
1: They'll <laughs> take you down underneath. They'll never be heard from again. This thing Crew looks glow. like,
2: uh... <laughs> the thing that he's talking about that's emerald, it looks like a manhole cover. And it's in the middle of nowhere in the country. Like
1: Cave it- City. There's a bunch of these places I heard that 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 are like this, right? It's- Wow, wow. Cave City. What is Cave City? And there's like a whole town called Cave City.
0: Yeah, that's um that's toward well that's where Mammoth Cave is, isn't
1: it? Yeah. yeah. Dinosaur World. Mammoth Cave Road. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta I gotta bring the kids on a trip out here when they you know.
2: Yeah, it's really cool. Uh a lot of people go there but the one cave in particular is supposed to be the biggest one. Um, they say that you're not allowed to go in because there's uh somehow uh african bats got in there.
1: Oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so takes of these giant bats in the fucking cave.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how african bats ended up in there, but that that's why they say you can't go in. Have you seen any of the stuff like where People are, are seeing you know, these pictures that are released by NASA of Mars and then they're finding the exact same place like in New Zealand, like on Google Maps.
1: I think it's Paradolia. You know, there's a lot of landscapes that look very similar. Like, I've had dreams about landscapes and then gone to places and been like, I had a dream about this place. And I, I swore, like, I was from my dream and that I was seeing the same exact place. But I think it's a case. I And I was convinced that, you know, I was having, like, you know, like, messages sent to me in my dreams about, like, these places and stuff. Because, you know, I thought this was, you know, and... and Made me actually think that this might be something paranormal that was, you know, happening to me that, you know, is unexplainable. But I think it might be a, just a case of pareidolia, where it's uh, pareidolia. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, where, I know where what you're it's saying. like a, you, people see faces in the rocks or they see faces in the water, or, or, or um, you know, it's, it's seeing other objects inside of things that, are, you know, or seeing things that look similar to other things. So you see one landscape that has a, a similar shaped rock and a similar shaped cliffside, and it's like oh, it's the same thing. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen these 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 things, but are, are they like exact replicas? Is, is it like there's somebody like, they're just driving this
2: rover around New Zealand and they're yeah, not. It's, it like, looks like, it's, it's pretty <laughs> crazy. So <laughs> this, this dude's on Google Maps. He finds a mountain that looks almost exactly the same. And then he drags the little man on Google. And when he drags it, he can see a nasa truck like in on, on google earth and it's just it's it's wild like and who knows if it's disinformation or you know who knows i, I don't know what's the nasa truck doing in new zealand though it's like
0: if it isn't fake i can only think that's for like training yeah
2: i guess maybe the landscape's similar
0: like
2: uh, that's the only thing I can think maybe maybe that's I'm sure that they have to test their right
1: so that stuff. A, they go to this place in the desert, I thought it was like the mecomb, but what is it Metacomba
2: maybe it wasn't hang on, maybe it wasn't new zealand I've, yeah. I've been watching a lot of shit lately,
1: so there's one in South America um what the heck is it called Atacombe, right, Atacama. In Chile. So the Atacama Desert in Chile. And I'll post it in there. Oops. This is the chat. Oh, okay. Boom. Atacama Desert in Chile. It's right on the, it's like one of the driest places on earth. All right. And it's devoid, fully devoid. In fact, things out there are so, it's so, like, dry that nothing can live out there. So, like, things out there are considered actually, like, um, surgically sterile. Because it's not even, like, bacteria or, you know, germs or viruses can survive out there.
0: What do you think about that, where they found that fungi on Mars recently?
1: That is kind of strange. Well, it's, there's got to be water there. You know, we've already established that there was water on Mars, that they had like this, you know, like frost that that appears around those caps and stuff, and then then to see that, do it's you think pretty, the- uh, This is how it's going to start, right? So I, I predicted this. This is how like disclosure is going to happen. It's going to be first, there's going to be like a mushroom or something on another planet, and then it's going to be, you know, like gradually, like oh, well, now we found some, you know now we found some like fish and and underneath the the lake and on on one of these moons you know and then once that happens it's people are going to be like there's going to be a bunch of articles about how the the universe is probably teeming with life and we don't even know it and then you know and then it's going to come out you know, this is like how it's going to happen and there's going to be stages to this disclosure they're not just going to land on the white house lawn and be like look you know <laughs> people always think that's going to happen and 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 I don't think you know I don't think humanity is ready for that I don't think that um, I don't think that that's how it's going to go down I just uh, it's not my prediction
0: people would lose their shit the way that panic culture is and everything like uh, apparently when we went through this gas shortage there was people filling garbage bags up full of gas down the road
1: yeah I was showing that on last night and then someone said that was from 2019 that they did that but you know regardless if it's from 2019 or it's from last week people still did that <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, Cecil, didn't you say you you saw people filling up the like a thousand gallon water tank with gas? Yeah,
0: they 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 brought the them you know the huge tanks that they use on farms. Yeah, yeah. They were bringing them to the gas stations down here and filling them up. P- panic culture is insane. Oh, and, like, and here, here that's in Kentucky, what led to the toilet paper crisis. I mean. yeah, yeah, that's here, I here say in when Kentucky, I'm not being able to wipe my ass It's a little ridiculous. <laughs> people, people are having to post uh,
2: signs because, like, in Kentucky, we don't even rely on that pipeline. Like our 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 gas comes from, like, it comes up the Mississippi, I think.
0: and back to the fungi on Mars. Do you think that we probably took that there? Because they're they're thinking that there's probably a spore or something that we dropped off.
1: I don't know enough about it um, to say whether it's you know a spore we dropped off or what. I mean like a, when, they got to get a they got to get a sample of it and test its DNA, man, because then we'd know right away. You know we'd be like, all right, well this is a real this is a puffball mushroom and it definitely came from Earth. You know.
0: Well, just, I like, like to eat it.
2: <laughs> we, we we're talking about imagine this how
1: much per pound it would cost <laughs> yeah, It'd be like more than any truffle on earth
2: yeah i don't i don't know like you know it's like you said unless they just start going like okay we found a fish okay we found this okay we the other yeah. side of mars is green oh, um yeah, like unless they did that, I, I was telling Cecil, I'm just like, I have no idea, like if it's just a barren planet, how anything's growing. Even if we did
0: take spores, well, there's water and stuff. Like they got water vapor in their
1: air, and like you said, but for, for the mushroom to grow, there would have to be some kind of organic material present to to like eat, you know,
2: like nutrients in the soil or something. Sure.
1: Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know of any. Yeah, there's there's a few organisms that that do chemosynthesis like the those vent pipe um or you know, the organisms that live on the vent pipes at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. But man, like yeah, that's just a this is how it starts, man. Six days ago. It's still too <laughs> early to tell, dude. Fungus fungus growing on Mars. Yeah, those those definitely look like some puffball mushrooms, dude.
2: I always thought but... The alien invasion, ever since I've seen this movie, have you ever seen, um, what was it, Spider-Man Homecoming? Where it's all, uh, like, all of these these monsters are, like, drones. Drones that are projecting an image, like, thousands of them, and they're all projecting, like, the same image. Like, that's how I imagine something like Bluebeam to go. Like, just... Millions of drones projecting something in the sky,
0: something that looks to be like real.
1: Yeah, because they could have the drones make the, make it look like it.
0: And going back to what you said earlier, whenever you was like, they could project Allah into the sky. Was they not going to do that during the Gulf War?
1: Right. I don't was- know, man. That was like that would have been the time to do it if they, you know, maybe they did it and we don't even know about it. That's you know,
0: I don't know. And, you know, looking at your information you have here, the invisibility technology, what have you found out about that? Because I'd like to get a hold of some of that. That'd be fun.
1: So, um, there's a couple different ways. It, it, they all involve pretty much bending light waves, you know, around an object for a cloaking effect, you know. There's different schemes for doing that. Um, we one of the best ways to do that is to um, take carbon nanotubes and run voltage through them and they heat up really, really fast. And the heat, um, the heat from them causes heat waves that are so uh, condensed and localized that they, um, they're able to warp those, um, they're able to create a mirage effect similar to like the heat waves on a road creates a mirage that makes the road disappear in places you can make objects disappear from a distance with uh, this carbon nanotube mirage effect. Um, that one's one of the cooler ones I've seen, um, but then there's also ideas of using metamaterials that have these you know, left-handed refractive index and uh, create one that had um, left-handed, you know, that was left-handed in the um, visible spectrum, then you could make it invisible to, you know, visible light, so and there's also different types of radar invisibility so so there's there's uh different radars that use radar uses a different frequency so like you know radar invisibility is different than you know visual invisibility you know so if you want to make something it's a lot harder to make something invisible to um, the human eye than it is to make it invisible to a specific frequency radar system you know that say uses i don't know hundred megahertz for its signal you know so you can tune your you can tune you can tune your cloaking device to that signal um, frequency so that you're invisible to that frequency based on you know if you got an lc resonator kind of set up you build your you build up your airplane so that you your your resonator a resonant circuit at that Frequency so that basically you uh, cancel out that that frequency and you become invisible to it by through cancellation. Um, but then there's other technologies like quantum radar that could tell that could tell. Oh wait, there's still something there because it broke entanglement even though you know it didn't register a signal. That I, I still got broken entanglement on my photons. So I know that something is there, but it's using cloaking so there's there's technologies there's counter you know th- these are called um electronic countermeasures eCMs and then the then there's electronic counter countermeasures which are the co- you know the counter technologies to the ECMs. so so they have uh, counter stealth counter invisibility um you know these types of things so um there's there's lots of different Schemes and and technologies and thought and thought going into these war games and behind the scenes that people aren't you know Man. readily read into or aware of.
2: You reminded me. Um, I don't know if you're following any of this stuff in Gaza right now, but um, I saw saw something last night. It, it was probably one of the scariest things I've ever seen. You know that anti um, missile defense that they have over there. Yeah. I saw that thing like lighting up the sky last night. There's probably eight rows, and it's shooting them two at a time through all eight rows in um, like a a 4-4 cadence, and it's just like
0: missiles everywhere. Are you sure? Iron
1: Dome, it's called, right?
0: Yeah. Are you sure that's new? Because I feel like I've seen something like that a couple years ago.
2: I'll, uh... Oh, well, it goes back to it, this,
0: it goes
1: back to Ronald Reagan and the, that SDI program in the 1980s. You know, the Star Wars program and missile defense initiative and uh, our strategic defense initiative, and that's where uh, a lot of this uh, the development went into these these types of technologies and and um, ways to take down missiles. You know, so I don't know. I don't know the full extent of all that stuff again but you know this is just what's being shown off
2: well, yeah they say that what they're they're 20 years ahead of what we can see like what or or more
1: yeah who knows uh with you know this is this is an interesting you know defense system but is this does he use drones
0: I Iron don't know
1: Dome, no, 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 there's this bunch of ones that use, there was a scheme for using lasers that would heat up the warheads and burn them out, and then there was other ones for, um, you know, heat-sinking targets and stuff. But this looks like a bunch of, you know, missiles that they send out that seek out the missiles and blow them up in the, yeah. In the air.
2: Yeah, it looks so nuts. They, like they, I've seen a few different views now that it's a hot topic. Like, the one last knot, was from where they were actually firing from, but then I, I saw like a side view where you can see literally the impact in the air, and it looks crazy. Yeah,
1: what? I'm 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 checking this out now. This is pretty neat. Five fifty thousand dollars per shot.
2: Wow,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's what it costs. What the hell, dude?
2: It's all printed. It's they can just print more, man.
1: Yeah, just print more. We pay for it with our taxes.
0: Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, one thing that I've noticed about your research and everything, you actually do a lot of research, and you it seems like you're pretty on topic about what you find factual because you have a debunk bin on here that has quite a bit of stuff in it. Um one of them I'm seeing is Bob Lazar. What's your feelings about Bob Lazar?
1: Well, Bob got me into this. You know, I not I guess uh, I, I probably would have gotten into it anyway with the 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 physics and stuff. But Bob is definitely you know one of the ones that was like he's gotten a lot of people interested in this because the story's just so fascinating about the hangar full of these nine craft that that, that he worked on for this government program and. The most top secret project in the world, and you know, and he was involved in it. And I've I've been looking for that damn hangar out of Papoose Lake for 17 years now, and and tracing down every kind of lead that I possibly can to, to verify every, you know, we traced down every part of his story, trying to trace back, you know, every claim that he may ever made. You know, watched every single interview that he's ever done. Including all the ones that are you can't even find them on the net because they scrubbed they scrubbed like half the good stuff from the net on on Bob Lazar, and you can't even post it up or it gets flagged, you know. Because I I guess Jeremy Corbell owns all. I don't know if he owns all the content uh, or the rights to all that stuff now after he did the Lazar documentary, or what. But um, all those videos, we had a playlist that was called the like the, the the Lazar debunking playlist, and it was just all the videos with you know clipped up of of all the good stuff and literally they used they got a hold of it someone got a hold of it, I don't know if it was Jeremy Corbell or what they got a hold of that and used that as a guide to like scrub all those videos from the net and you can't find any of that stuff Now now all you find is Joe Rogan interview, is Larry King interview is in the documentary, is recent stuff can't find like hardly any of the old good stuff where you know he made contradictory statements or changed his story Or, you know, there's all the claims that they, you know, people make that, always he's been consistent, he's never lied, he's never changed his story, and it's like, you haven't researched the case, man. He has lied about numerous things that we, you know, we've caught him lying about his degrees that he supposedly had from MIT and Caltech when he was taking, you know, electronics courses at Pierce Junior College. You don't go to Pierce Junior College if you got into Caltech like obviously he made it up or like faked the degrees you know and then they say oh well he just made up the degrees to get the job and oh well, why he, why is he never admitted to this he still says that the government deleted the records like you know he's never admitted to lying on camera it, it's it's just an interesting story and an interesting series you know he comes out every couple of years and does another media appearance but it's always like it always seems like it's controlled and scripted, and, and there's never, like, anyone asking him, like, these hard questions and stuff. The last time he did a live Q&A was at Rachel Nevada in 1993, and that was when he got asked those questions about his degree and, you know, called, named his two... He, he was asked to name two of his professors from MIT and Caltech, and he named his high school physics teacher and his, you know, electronics teacher at Pierce Junior College. So it's... it's he, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of skepticism I have for the story, especially when you trace back all the element 115 stuff and you find out oh, it was in Scientific American magazine, published the month the month after he came out with this story, um, and four, you know, five five months before he actually you know made the claim about element 115, you know he he could have read it in this magazine between that time, which was published this article. And um, it talked all about the island of stability and, you know, in the May 1989 issue of Scientific American on page 68. I have the whole article, like we trace (laughs) back, we trace back every, you know, like normally when it's like classified programs or the science stuff you worked on, it's like, all right, well, I'll be able to, I'll be able to find some physics papers on this topic or I'll be able to find some other scientists who wrote or published on this topic Normally when you're you are a physicist, especially a senior staff physicist on a, on a project like this, you have what's called a curriculum vitae, which is a whole list of papers that you've written and research that you've done, relevant research to the field that you, of whatever your research that you're doing and what you're working on. Now that's typical, you know, every scientist ha- has one of those, they have, you know, it's called your cv you know your curriculum vitae it's an important thing so you look up guys that were senior staff physicists for lockheed martin like bernard haisch for example of caltech who you know a real caltech scientist did classified re, you know physics research as a senior staff physicist for lockheed martin and uh, bernard haisch's cv is has 138 papers on there you don't find that with bob lazar you don't find anything you just find you know, you find that his, you find that his, um, I found information out about his, 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 all right, his dad was connected to Jewish mafia and was a gambler in in Las Vegas and um, obviously had money which supported him through through a lot of his bankruptcies and a lot of his his project. I mean, he had to have had some kind of financial port from somewhere if you read his his timeline and his history and stuff. Lots of questions we have for Bob, man. If we could get into, hopefully we get an interview with him and and, and sit down with him, but I don't I don't I doubt it would ever happen. It just seems like it seems like this. It, the best case scenario I could come up with for Bob Lazar is that you know Richard Doty and these guys connected to John Lear um, hired him for dis- and brought him out to this base and fed him a bunch of disinformation and showed him a hangar full of you know, VZ9 Avro cars and, and some of the uh, Alfred loading uh, aircraft that were developed for the US Air Force by some of the you know, Alfred loading of, of Wright Patterson. And some of these other guys that developed saucer-shaped craft, they're probably a bunch of them sitting in a hangar somewhere. And you know, I wouldn't doubt that there's nine of them sitting in a hangar out in Area 51. And who's to say they didn't bring? You know, Bob didn't go because po- Bob is friends with John Lear, okay, who was the, the first guy to release the pic- first photos of, of um, Area 51 that were taken by by him back when you could take go back when you couldn't. You could drive right down Mailbox Road and right out onto the base, and there wasn't any security or perimeter um, before they bought up most of that land and started you know, shutting off more and more of the access to the public. But John Lear knew about that place, and he went out there, and, and, and they knew about John Lear, man. He was, you know, especially with him talking on you know KLAS with George Knapp. Uh, the, you know, in the year before and blowing up this, you know, doing a lot of the reporting that blew the lid off Area 51. Everyone claims Bob Lazar blew the lid off Area 51, but it was like, it was these other guys and John Lear uh, year, years before him. So, um, You know, Bob hanging out with John Lear and then going and applying for a job at EG&G, they would have smelled, you know, they would have sniffed him out, been like, all right, well, they obviously knew, and they asked him at the interview, according to him, when he went to an interview at EG&G, they asked him if he knew John Lear. So obviously they knew he was friends with them. So what do they think he was going out there to work for, you know? So it seems to me like the most plausible explanation is that they said, like, oh, this guy's fishing for information. Uh, We're going to give it to him. You know, and it's well, going to be. And
2: I saw a picture. Um, I think I think on your website it like a S four, and it really does look like a molehill, dude. Like it doesn't look viable for. Oh, those
1: high def photos that guy flew over on Christmas <laughs> Day. All right, and in a in a Cessna, <laughs> he got access. Like whatever, you could fly like right by Area fifty one. He took pictures with the hangar door open. You can see a craft sitting in the hangar right at Area 51, right? He took these high-def photos out of his, out of his Cessna. And he went right over Papoose Lake because he, he, he heard about the story on Joe Rogan or something and, and, and was like, what? I drive over there. I fly over that every day. So he was going to take some pictures. And he sent them in to George Knapp. George Knapp did a whole story on this, interviewed Gabe Zeifman, did a whole like story on this. But then after we got the high def photos and we put out the other other photos that George Knapp didn't show, right? So we put out the photos that George Knapp didn't show, where you can clearly see there's no there's like it, there's no way his Bob's description of the whole base and the terrain and everything is just wrong. Well, yeah, it, I was
2: expecting like some kind of huge mountain, you know, like just
1: yeah. Massive. And then then, it, then the, he showed the hangars right there. Remember he said it came right out the hangar and wheeled right onto the dry lake bed floor. And you can see in the like the you can see there's like a thousand feet between where that hill that mole hill starts and and the uh, the actual side of the dry lake bed. So even the geography's off for, according to his story. So there's there's all these things that just don't make sense and don't line up. And then and we we were pointing it all out and, and bringing attention to it. And guess what George Knapp went and did? He, he pulled down that interview and it disappeared. And he just <laughs> never talked about it again. It's like, and he's been ignoring this story, and and not, you know, and you know, he's been ignoring that whole issue, all that stuff. It's just like anything that, you know, if it if it supports Bob and it deepens the mystery, he'll he'll report on it and say it. But, you know, all the stuff that he he claims he claims like. He claims he's covered all this stuff, but it just disappears from the radar, all the debunking. Like, George Knapp has done the best debunking on Bob Lazar, like, of all. He's been, you know, covering the case for 30 years. He's investigated, you know, so much of it. And and I made a video one time, I think I, have, I still have it, it's George Knapp debunks Bob Lazar, where I just, you know, I have a whole list of Bob, you know, George Knapp debunking Bob Lazar over the years, and people... Have no idea that all this stuff exists, and it's like, well, if George Knapp reports on all this stuff and he knows the story inside and out, why can't he put it all together the way you did in that, you know, yeah. edited clip? You know, like, why can't he just put all the pieces together and be like, look, he's lying? <laughs> you know? Well,
2: I don't know, dude. Like, now that they've made it, you know, like, think about that. Like, they're not gonna, they're not gonna do anything to endanger. No, they're status. making,
1: they're they're up there, they're making their money, they're in the limelight, they're getting the views, they're getting, you know, they got they got all that right now, so they're not going to endanger that right now. It won't be, it'll be the best thing they can do right now, especially from an intelligence standpoint, right? So the intelligence agencies, you got to think the Air Force has never if uh, released an official statement, the Navy's never released an official statement about Bob Lazar. They they love they love that guy. He's working you know it, it, he's spreading all these distractions and it's you know they're never they're never gonna like ever debunk him because it, it's 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 working in their favor it's it's the best thing ever it's convincing the russians that we have way better technology in fact the the russians spent you know billions of dollars in in, in decades researching super heavy elements and were the ones who discovered element 115 and named it moscovium So they waste. If it was a counterintelligence operation by the U.S. Air Force or by the U.S. Navy, then it would work brilliantly because it sent the Russians on a wild goose chase after Element 115 and super heavy elements, and um, and they have yet to create anti gravity, you know, or make an announcement of it or anything, you know, stable isotope. (laughs)
2: What was it? Um, there's something. What was it last year? The year before about a. A new missile that they had that apparently would go so fast that that no defense system would be able to catch yes, it. Yes,
1: the supercavitating yeah. uh, technology. So transatmospheric crafts is, is where it starts with. If you look up the, that search term, transatmospheric um, vehicles, but also these supercavitating torpedoes and um, their ability to you know to go through air or go through the ocean, go through the water um at just faster than i think that they go faster than the speed of sound and um some of them can go like mach 10 apparently wow. like just incredible speed you know these incredible um hypersonic speeds and they do it by blasting the, you know air out in front from super with super cavitation um and these microwaves and it's very uh crazy Technology, man. When you start getting into that stuff, but yeah, that you, you want you want tic tacs. We might have, you know, maybe I think I I'm on I'm the personal opinion that the tic tac is is something that's related to something that we have and it's one of our craft and it's something that the U S Navy is testing with the Seal base out at San, uh, San Clemente Island, which is right near where a lot of those sightings uh, and encounters took place, and um i think it's missile tech possibly these uh, mp multi-purpose uav um vehicles like these these drones that can they they decommissioned a bunch of these ballistic nuclear submarines right so these submarines had a bunch of compartment they have four com- big compartments where they can launch ballistic nukes from 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 the submarines and they decommissioned a lot of these old ones and they said well we need projects that can we need new projects that we can use these old submarines for. You know, the submarines are still in service. They're still, you know, really expensive and, and took a lot to build. But we need something else to do with these things. So they this they had a couple project ideas in an incubator at DARPA ran, and um, the one that won was this MPUAV craft, which was this it's this craft that could be launched from the submarine. Go out, fly, and do its mission, and then it come back to the water, and then it and it, and it connects back on a retractable cable and pulls it back into the in uh, underwater to the submarine, so they can you know have they can have uh, m- you know marine in- in- insertion and extraction you know through the water. And that's, that's wild. Uh, yeah, so I, I saw that. I was like, whoa, this is like crazy because it's like it would explain what these people saw this thing just coming right out of the water, and then it went right back into the water. And, and um, you know, I could be this, it could be that MPUA, the MPUAV is a little, little distinct and different, but it could be something very, you know, think about all those incubator projects and they got a bunch of these decommissioned subs. They're going to have more than one of these projects. And, and, and I think that's, it's some type of soup. It could be some type of super cavitating missile, or it may be some more advanced tech that we're even aware of. And, and, uh, I think it's up to us to really dig into the technology and, and figuring out you know what works, what can, what's what's out there, and what and how it works, and that's kind of what the team that we're putting together and, and what we're doing, trying to figure all that stuff out and and really bring the technology side of this out to the public, and because um, these technologies they, they they're being used <laughs> as weapons and they're being kept secret and held from the public, but we could use these technologies for our own benefits and our own good, you know if we could all just get along but damn war is so profitable and and you know all the other issues in the world right now it's it's like nobody wants to think to use these projects for good it's always like all right let me stick a gun in the other guy's face and rob him (laughs) from what he's got you know
2: yeah there's there's uh i mean it's it's unfortunate that that can't happen but i mean that's kind of the hard reality like You know, these things aren't being disclosed, and we're just kind of stuck in the middle.
1: They've a lot of it's been declassified, right? A lot of it's out there. It's in in FOIAs. It's in declassified documents. But it's not being talked about by these mainstream articles and these mainstream people. They're not – it's like the people that are into this, I don't know if they're just not aware that it exists or if they're just not – you know, technical enough to really understand, you know, to have looked into it and understand it. You know what I mean? It's like I wonder if it's like a – I find that that I don't understand this as well because I don't see it as well because I have a technical background and, like, when I I, I get really technical and I nerd out on this kind of stuff, but not everyone's like that. People start hearing about, you know, like, you know, specs on technologies and stuff, and and talking physics and and advanced. They see a math equations and, and they just run the other way, which is <laughs> what is like ninety percent of people. You know, I feel like out there. You know, it's it's a very it's a very small minority that are that are you know like like me like myself. So it's I don't understand it as well coming from that perspective. So but I'm. I, so I, but I get it. I, I get it. So it's it's kind of like, you know, maybe it's just that people just that they they don't want to like dig into all this stuff. And 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 also it's just more fun to have the aliens. Yeah, that's a more fun <laughs> explanation, bro.
0: <It's> just <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's Listen way more <laughs> easy.
1: It's it's easy. It's fun. It doesn't require a whole lot of thinking or brain power. And 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 it's a defensible position too.
2: After. Everything that we've discussed, I've already decided that we're gonna have to have a follow-up episode because
1: <laughs>
2: there's there's so much more that I want to talk about. But I also know that our full crew would love to talk to you. Well, you guys
1: do true crime stuff and conspiracy stuff too. We didn't even dig into JFK or nine eleven or or any of these. Uh, you know. That-
2: <laughs> yeah we're gonna have to get into all that
1: crime right? mysteries man you've seen cut, some of my I'll research cut. on those right have you seen the the web page i got on on some of my conspiracy theories <laughs> i love i love my my conspiracy yeah theory. we
2: glanced at uh <laughs> what did we glance at before this cecil the Boston well, Common? yeah so yeah oh, that we'll, was a
1: good one man that's we'll a good one
2: we'll definitely get into that and uh you know Reed especially is huge. He's a huge history buff. Um, so that'll be that'll be awesome.
1: I swear, man. Alex Jones is like controlled opposition. When he started going after Sandy Hook and then the Boston yeah. bombing, I was like, yo, this is this is not even. He's just this is not even right. There's nothing here, and he's just making making up shit to sell fucking to sell. Viewers, are to make money, I don't know what, why, why he's putting this information out there and stuff. That disin, it was a lot of disinformation on that Boston bombing thing. And you know, I was like, you know, I was just like of this opinion. I'm like, man, all that evidence got destroyed from the World Trade Center. You know, got all the steel got shipped off and melted down before. You know, I would love to, you know. If I could be the first person in there after 9/11 now, like and 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 go and collect some, you know, get some pictures or get some evidence, you know. So that's what I was thinking with this Boston bomb. And it's like as soon as they opened up that city, you know, as soon as they opened up the city of Boston after those after that attack, um, I, I I was the first person in there to like, you know, document the crime scenes. Like, cause I went I went to Watertown, and right where they had the shootout with the pipe bomb blew off, and I filmed like the the crater where the pipe bomb blew off in the street. I filmed the, the the pool of blood where they he got where Tsarnav got run over and killed in the street there in Watertown like just because because I wanted to like have is there evidence to confirm the story is there you know like boots on the ground where I can actually go there and 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 see it and I saw it firsthand and I filmed it and I put it out there for others to so, you know so that they could you know witness that and be like oh my god well here's a guy who really you know he, he he's he believes that there was, a, you know, at least something more that to 9/11 that sh- there should be a, a follow-up investigation, and he's doing a boots-on-the-ground investigation into into this into this case. I figured that met, would matter to people, and um, to some people it did; it mattered a lot. And, and there was a lot of people that came from the Boston and the 9/11 Truth groups and, and stuff, and 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 were, um, we had a whole think tank to, to you know to deal with the conspiracy theories and i think we snuffed that one out really good we did a good job of you know like it you don't you don't hear much boston bombing marathon bombing conspiracy anymore you know you don't hear much more about the crisis actors are saying that you know that guy jeff Bauman didn't really get his legs blown off and he was a crisis actor you don't hear yeah. that that's it just doesn't you know like people kind of like gave up on that and and i and i um i hope that we had an effect on that because there was a lot of I felt like it was disinformation being spread on purpose. Like after these events, there must be like a division of the the bots that just go out and spread these theories or something. Just to, I don't know. Maybe it, they are real people that are doing it just because they believe in it and they think they're you know getting the truth out and, and doing the right thing. But it just there's something more to it. It just seems like that they they spread all these conspiracy theories about every event. So that you know they can say like it just just to muddy the water about all conspiracy theories and to say oh well it just it's natural after every event there's always a bunch yeah. of conspiracy theories. Yep. And um you know so it, it it's not as like cut and dry as they ever try to make it but they always try to like you know come up with these simple you know explanations for everything and, and the, that that and, and wrap it up in a nice tight package. And you know I was just after the investigation because there, there was that alle- allegation that the guy. You know, I wanted to come up with a timeline because there was all these pictures going around, but none of them had timestamps or a timeline. So they had these guys that were walking around with backpacks and craft International hats on. That you know, Infowars was saying that they were involved and that these were definitely the guys. And then they had the "Where'd the backpack go, bro?" meme going around. And I had to go through footage and footage and footage till I found a clip of those guys. During and before the like before during and after the bombing, so you can see them with the backpack on on the corner of uh, they were on the corner of like by the train station and I showed like I showed with landmarks where they were from the videos, but basically I showed like how how the the the, uh, time the Infowars David Ike timeline of that guy planting the backpack and being the real one to plant the backpack it couldn't have happened because he's wearing his backpack he's two blocks away and this is him responding to the site i showed the marathon finish line footage of when they show up you know showed like how far it is from them to run from where where i saw them in the previous clip you can see them walk by then you hear the explosion in the background then everyone start running and they run towards this they they run towards the scene they got the backpack on And I was like, that's all I needed because it's like that shows that they didn't plant the backpack and they weren't they weren't at the crime scene. They were responding to it and rushing in with the backpack and that they put the backpack down after and later on. And that those timestamps and the and and the uh, chronology of the events was was key to um, basically you know absolving those innocent people who were accused of murder, you know, mass murder, and they were there to help. All right, pick another topic. Let's just, let's see how well it could do. I, don't, I I always get the ones that I haven't heard of, man. I I always get like something that's like, how, what do you think about the like the other one was the Dark Knight satellite, and I was like, what is oh. that? And I had to go look it up, and I was
0: like, oh wow, never even heard of this one before. But so, no, so every- it's a big <laughs> rock floating around in the sky, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick rundown from the dustification at the trade centers. Do you think it was the energy weapon? Well, the thing, right, I don't know
1: of any energy weapon that has the – because you have to explain where the energy came from and then how it was delivered and how it was, you know, provided. And the best way that I think, you know, the most conventional way is with chemical, you know, chemical energy. You know, but that requires pre-planting. It requires premeditating, It requires security access to the buildings and i feel like there's so much disinformation was put out there to get people to look away from that whole that whole side of it and the investi- you know getting people to you know think oh well it was just a, a few big bomb a, a few micro nukes or mini nukes that you know it, all these theories seem to like take the attention away from the investigation that should be done to you know the security companies and the and the tenants in the world trade center that that whole side of the investigation that uh kevin ryan and john cole did i feel was was more illuminating than any of the research that i've seen put forward by judy wood or these you know justification proponents because it's really like it's really like yeah that could have happened yeah we could interpret this evidence you know as 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 meaning this or or, or being this but there's a lot of evidence that she misinterprets, like the, those cars that were towed there to the spot, and they said that that you know, and what caused that that particular melting and damage and, and paint discoloration and you know the toasted cars. We found pictures of toasted cars that were underground in the basement underneath World Trade Center, the World Trade Center. So it, it's much more evidence that 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 was caused by a chemical attack rather than a directed energy weapons attack. So. Um, as you know, the, the the multiple layers of the garage, the the parking garage, would have blocked that directed energy, you know, from penetrating that deep into the earth, to to under the to to hit those cars deep under the garage. So it's much more likely that my scenario, where I, I outlined with that that it, that was probably pyroclastic flow or or heated superheated gas, or um, corrosive agents even in the gas that. Um, were responsible for that, you know, the toasting of the cars and the melting of the cars and a lot of the other, you know, points of evidence that she cites. We got, went through that whole list of all the hundred points of evidence that she cited that she claims points to directed energy weapons, and we came up with other explanations for all of it. So, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, a, it's one of those things, it's, I think it's disinformation because she appeared on the scene right at the right time, and she did the same thing Lou Elizondo is doing right now, she went on every single podcast imaginable, and from coast to coast, AM to every small little podcast that was out there, and and just flooded the airwaves with that whole that book, and you know had a whole bunch of these trolls that were just go around and tell people, oh, you need to read this book, and have you read this book, and this book is so great, and it explains everything, and and um, there's just tons of people like that that would approach me, that would just uh, strangers, new brand new accounts, and and, and people that would friend me on Facebook from these 9/11 groups and stuff right around that time and you don't see that anymore so that shows me that that was not an organic that was a that was an organized campaign that was set up by by a group of people and it was not like an organic thing that that just you know happened on its own and yeah, um,
2: we get a we get a ton of bots and stuff on Twitter I, I mean Twitter's like our main platform I don't, I don't know if you have the same experience
1: yeah, like there's it, a lot of bots on Twitter, man, and I, I, I've had that same experience with Twitter and Facebook and all these social media accounts. Is that it, is that there's people that you know pretend to be into this stuff and then they, they they'll they'll flood you that they'll they'll just insert disinformation. It seems it, it's like well, or they'll and, try to they'll try to make friends with you, you know, you know, <laughs> give you a bunch of compliments about your content and then throw a bunch of disinformation your way and. and and tell you you're stupid for you know doing the things you're doing and, and looking at it the way you're looking at it or whatever, but the, my whole thing is that it, it the whole theory of that it, it looks away from the tenants man you start looking into the who who worked inside those buildings, you know who ran the security and apparatus inside those buildings and, and the interconnectivity of those key players that were has been outlined in the in that tenants article and the security article by kevin ryan and who had demolition access to the world trade center that was like that was one of the articles that did it for me i was like i was like all right yeah now now i'm convinced that this thing was a cover-up and that you know that powerful people inside these buildings you know did an inside job and they covered it up you know i mean uh but that's so, where I'm at with that. It just needs to be reinvestigated. <laughs> it needs to be reinvestigated, period. There's way too much shady crap going on. There's so much inconsistencies and just outright f- f- lies and 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 misinformation in the 9/11 Commission report or the Omission report. It doesn't even mention building 7 and and all these all the key aspects of the financing, from the, from where the hijackers got their funding, and who set them up, who was harboring them, and, and guiding them along their mission, in the countries before before leading up to the attacks.
2: Was it um, was it Building Seven that uh, the reporter said that it came down before it came down?
1: That was the BBC. Yeah, that the timing mix up on the you know where they reported it ahead of time. Um, I think that it's kind of like when the CIA gets their time zones messed up and sends out the story to the, you know, or uh I, I'm not, that's, that was one theory that they, that, you know, Jane's, Jane, was it Jane Simmons on BBC? Yeah. yeah. She had done the, reported the building collapsed early, but there's, there's, um there's lots more interesting things with Building 7, like the, um, the whole, you know, they asked they asked Donald Rumsfeld if he had ever heard of Building Seven before, and he's and he claimed he had never heard of it. But he actually turns out that he, um, on his resume, he he worked for, he was on the financial advisory board for Solomon Smith Barney, which had it, which was the largest tenant inside World Trade Center Seven. So if he was on those advisory board meetings, he means he would have gone to meetings inside World Trade Center 7 prior to, you know, taking rank in the Bush administration. So he's clearly some, you know, someone's lying there. Um, Him and Cheney actually sat on that bank and were advisors uh, on the foreign policy advisory board for that bank, which was the main tenant inside World Trade Center 7. So that... That bank, um, Citibank, and uh, Solomon Smith Barney is is Citibank, and um, they have some interesting. I don't know. There's some interesting connections there. I think that need to be probed further, and and we're not um, deeply delved into enough by you know by the investigating committee hired to investigate 9/11. What about
0: Building Six?
1: Yeah, the, the whole El Dorado task force that was there, um, it was an interagency money laundering task force and watchdog um, operation that w- had a vault inside that building. A lot of their files, someone went in, when, when they evacuated, when the buildings fell, it looks like somebody went in there and raided the vault and also stole files out of their investigations and stuff too. So this would, would have been one of the groups that would have been involved with that whole... Um, you know, um, the Enron investigations that were going on in, with the uh, SEC inside of Building 7, too. So there's there's a lot of – all the files for Enron basically it, were conveniently destroyed in the 9-11 attacks. <laughs>
2: um,
1: and Enron was basically the setup, the run-up for the Bush administration. Like the Bush Bush administration wouldn't – probably had, had gotten a lot of large financial campaign contributions from Enron. Um, Bush had basically helped set up Enron with his buddies um, before before you know running for before the the whole presidency so like basically Enron was about ready to explode and all these people were going down then they got into pres they got into the presidency, and then all the files for Enron disappeared in this massive attack that killed three thousand Americans and sent us into a war a convenient war that's made you know the same people mi- billions of dollars for the past two decades and, and it's like, but no one bats an eye at it. And
0: I've I've heard, <laughs> I've heard a theory before that a lot of those security and people that you were referring to were actually in Building Six when it went down.
1: Well, building six didn't go down; it just had the hole through it, you know. Right. So, building building seven is the one that went down at 5:20 p.m. That the the there's the 47-story the, the tower. All right, mm-hmm. building six was only like a six or a five or six-story building that was uh, in, in the in the complex, right? So four, five, and six were like around were the smaller buildings that were around the towers, and then. Um, Building seven was actually on the other side of Tower one, and b- Building six was between Building seven and Tower one. So it, when the tower collapsed, that you know Building six took the most of the brunt of the damage, and they say like the pieces of the falling North Tower is what damaged the World Trade Center seven and caused that to collapse. Well, if it caused such significant damage, World Trade Center six was closer. It took more of the impact. So why didn't World Trade Center coll- six collapse completely into its footprint? At uh, you know. Nearly the rate of gravity, like World Trade Center Seven did. So, um, I just I, I got into a whole argument with Mick West about this. Like, I, I can't believe how people are just so blind to this, and they've convinced themselves that you know it's the conspiracy theorists who would need to be skeptical of, and not the government.
2: Yeah, yeah there's <laughs> there's people that still like. If if I even bring something like this up, they get like fought and angry with me. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. I've gotten into many arguments with people. because of all the all the sentiment that was created during that time like everybody just you know America. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just Like there's a
1: lot of psychological and uh emotional brainwashing that happens so they they tie people's emotions to it so thoroughly that they can't question it and it's in an emotional place for them where you're now, like, questioning their, you know, moral, you know, I don't know, their their whole being. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I'm glad you guys are open to it and, and at least educated enough to, to have a conversation about it because not a lot of people are, man. It's And I don't even like talking about it on my channel anymore. <laughs> Just, like, it is
0: like, it's strange, too. Like, the, like the, what is either the day before or something, whenever they was discussing the loss of like $20 billion, they just didn't know where it went.
1: Yeah, the, the $2.3 $2.3 <laughs>
0: that's right. And then, a little and more a,
1: than $20 billion.
0: Yeah. It's a, well, I mean, a million dollars is $2 trillion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, um, no, th- that whole thing, um, gets a lot of people and then the whole you know why did the why did the terrorists crash it into the into the west wing of the Pentagon where the budget analyst office was and why didn't they crash it in the north wing of the Pentagon where it would have done the most damage strategically you know if they had planned this thing out so damn well and had such the opportunity you know it just doesn't that that that's one thing that didn't make sense to me it seems like really you know strategic for the terrorists you know to, to hit the you know the budget analyst office after you announced 2.3 trillion dollars went missing you know i always thought that that was rather peculiar um but and again there's there's more to the pentagon story everyone focuses on the oh it was no plane no plane hit the pentagon it was a missile i was like that's not the conspiracy theory you dumbasses it's like that's like disinfo 101 it's like the first layer that they put out to like trip you up and you just fell over it and stayed in the moat and you haven't gone like past the defenses into the you haven't even gone into the Pentagon and like who, who who did the two hundred fifty eight million dollar refurbishment in way and and wedge one you know that was struck you know and who got the two hundred the second two hundred fifty eight million dollar contract to, to rebuild it after it was hit because it was rebuilt before 9-11 they finished the they finished they were wrapping up the construction on the morning of 9-11 and uh, then then it it, got, it gets hit and the only wing that was renovated to you know with bulletproof and bomb resistant windows and siding to to withstand missile impacts it was like they were testing out the they were testing it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like come on like and then this company is tied to you know it's a good friend of Donald Rumsfeld runs the, run this runs this company and um, they were also hired to clean up the World Trade Center after 9 11 too in New York. Uh, amec corporation and then um then you get into the whole the comptroller of the pentagon number three in charge over there who was uh he ran that company called systems planning corporation international which developed all the awacs you know uh flight control software that could you know take control of the airplanes and fly everything by you know augmented gps guidance systems so they could basically Program uh, a set of coordinates into the flight computer and and make the make the planes fly themselves. So they could have done this whole hijacking business remotely with a computer, and you know, and they could have just gassed everybody on board, including their hijackers, who there's some evidence that they were training to be what what are called op for agents. So they thought they were part of opposition force. So they 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 basically could have been told that they were FBI agents. And that they were taking part in a drill, and that they got had to get on this plane and 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 practice hijacking the plane, you know, as part of this opposition force uh, drill for the government, you know. And so there's all these weird weird stuff. You start diving down the 9/11 rabbit hole. It's like um, we don't have any idea what really happened that day.
0: <laughs> and the the one thing that I know for sure is a lot of people became a lot wealthier, and a lot of people lost their lives for sure. Is what seems like happened.
1: And well, one of the biggest, uh, you know, beneficiaries was the Bin Laden family itself. Uh, they got the Bin Laden Construction Group got all the contracts to rebuild in Iraq uh, after we went in and destroyed it, and, and Afghanistan and the oil fields and and uh, and you know, this the people that you know. It would have been much to sacrifice their black sheep son. You know, the Bin Laden family weren't really fond of Osama Bin Laden. It was kind of like the black sheep of their family. It's a very big and rich family over in the Saudi. And in, in, in Saudi, basically, the Saudi royal family has two money, you know, families under the Bin Laden family and the Bin Mahfouz family, and they're kind of like the money operatives uh, who do a lot of the financial stuff for the Saudi royal family. And um, There's a liaison, I don't know, do you guys know about this liaison between the Bin Laden family, the Bin Mahfouz family, and uh, the Bush family, but um, this guy named James R. Bath was was George Bush's National Guard buddy in the Texas National Guard. Um, They both ran away and went AWOL together from the National Guard. It was kind of, it's an interesting coincidence, but James R. Bath um, was basically this liaison and ran all these companies that, like, sold aircraft. Like, they bought aircraft, retrofitted them as drug planes, and then resold them for, like, CIA operations and also, like, was connected to uh, the, bin Laden, the bin Laden family and doing a lot of business transactions, you know, as an, as an actuator between the Bush family and the bin Laden family to, <laughs> like, a go-between. It's a really interesting uh, connection there, but, um, and, and one that is, has not been like, thoroughly investigated. Uh, as Yeah, far yeah
2: as I, don't, I don't think that I've ever heard that before. That's it, very interesting.
0: And, and wasn't the ben family actually in New York at the time that happened?
1: They were meeting with George H.W. Bush at the Carlisle Group meeting, and in, 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 uh, not in New York, but in Washington, D.C., the morning of 9-11, and while all the other flights were grounded, the Bin Laden families were allowed to fly out of the country. Um, that was in uh, Fahrenheit 9-11, too, in Michael Moore's film.
0: Ain't that, ain't that peculiar? <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of coincidences. So, uh, Jeremy, um, if you don't care, tell everybody where they can find your content again.
1: Yeah, go to alienscientist.com is my website. Alien Underbar Scientist on Twitter and Alienscientist on YouTube. Alright.
0: And uh, there is a lot of great information on here, so you should definitely check out uh, everything. I'm gonna probably go on a deep dive tonight going through all this, honestly. Um <laughs> actually yeah, man. I'm sending it to my I'm sending it to my TV in the living room as we speak. <laughs> but, um,
1: and if you have any questions you can email me at the at gmail.com and you know interview requests or anything like that. So look forward to hearing from you awesome. and your fan base and we'll hope to get on the call next time with your other the rest of your crew.
0: Yeah but um and uh, thank you so much for watching us. you can find us at Twitter by searching at wearing the folk uh you can uh find us on youtube um wearing the folk and we also have audio only platforms we're on spotify but if you want to find other platforms you can go to anchor.fm slash wearing the folk so thank you so much for watching us because we're watching you